If you have your Bibles, please open them to John chapter 19. Chapters 42 verses, we won't read every verse. John 19, the account of the crucifixion, and again, the theme for tonight is beautiful and scandalous. Because when we behold the reality of what went down 2,000 years ago, what we behold is something that was absolutely tragic, scandalous, gruesome, and gory, and yet at the same time, sovereign design of God before the foundation of the world to bring about the redemption of the human race. Beautiful and scandalous. The text should appear on the screen in front of you. Actually, yeah, if we can go ahead and put this text on there. That's right, I'm going anyway. Well, I'll just begin. You know, even though I wasn't alive to see it at the time, I've always been fascinated by the murder of JFK. The assassination of John F. Kennedy, and that's a shocking thing. It's a shocking thing. No matter what your political beliefs are, it's a shocking thing to have a president of the United States murdered in cold blood. And yet the thing about that moment, the thing about that event is that no matter how much we learn and know about his assassination, there's much intrigue and mystery that still abounds, isn't there? There's still so much we don't actually know about his assassination. I mean, we have to deal with the fact that there are rumors and secrets and questions that are still unanswered. Because, for instance, who was it that was actually involved? Was it really just one man alone? A lone gunman, sixth floor of a building, downtown Dallas? Or does the footage of the shooting tell another tale? What do we do with rumors of bribes and payoffs and witnesses murdered before they can testify in court? What do we do with that? Why are there documents about the assassination that are so serious and massive in their implications that they've never been released to the public? I mean, you feel this, right? You feel this. This is intriguing. What this is, this is scandalous. There is something, there is some kind of conspiracy lurking in the darkness, and time will only tell when we finally learn the truth. And yet, and yet, mysterious and Intriguing though the assassination of JFK be, it is nothing compared to the assassination of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. But see, the difference is unlike JFK, we know everything about the murder of Christ because the sacred text tells us exactly what went down day by day, blow by blow, hour by hour. We know that it wasn't Judas working alone, was it? It was the Pharisees and the Sadducees and Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers working together. We read the text and we see bribes and payoffs, false witnesses paid to lie, give false testimony. And it wasn't a rifle from a sixth floor of a building that killed Christ. Rather, what it was was a cross, a Roman instrument of torture and death. And yet, and yet, the most shocking part of all of this was that it was the Father who planned the death of His Son. 
father. It was a murder lovingly premeditated by the father and the son together. Before the world began, Father, Son, and Spirit conspired together to pull off the greatest murder plot in history. And what that means is, is that the slaughter of the Son of God is both scandalous and it is beautiful. It is tragic and it is triumphant. It is gory and gruesome to be sure. But it's also glorious. Because you understand when Christ died, he wasn't a victim in the clutches of his enemies, but he was a victorious king who died for his enemies. That's what went down. That's exactly what we're going to see tonight. So let's go to the text. Tonight I want you to see from our text two ironies of a crucified God. Two, if you will, scandalous and beautiful ironies of a crucified God that make us weep, that make us worship, and make us want to live for the glory of God. That's where we're going to scandalous and beautiful ironies of a crucified God that make us weep, that make us worship, and make us want to live evermore for the glory of the triune God. And the scene is going to be split into three parts. Part number one is this, Christ rejected by the fickle crowds. Christ rejected by the fickle crowds, verses 1 through 15. And what we're about to witness here is the culmination of hours, hours of evil deeds, hours of wickedness. In chapter 18, the religious leaders, you remember, they take Christ into custody illegally, by the way. And then they proceed to interrogate him with their fists. And after a bogus trial, a sleepless night, and an all-night escapade of beating and mockery by the religious leaders, they bring Christ to the federal authorities, otherwise known as the Roman government. They put pressure on the governor, Pontius Pilate, governor at the time, to treat Christ as a hostile criminal based on bogus charges. And by the time we get to chapter 19, although Pilate finds no probable cause to kill Jesus, he's pressured by the crowd. And chapter 19 begins in some very gruesome details. If you have your Bibles, look at verses 1 through 3. Pilate then therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers, after weaving a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and they clothed him with a purple garment, and they were coming to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were giving to him blows in the face. You understand what's happening here to appease the fickle crowd, who a week ago, by the way, were hailing him as their Messiah? To appease the fickle crowd, Pilate set the dogs on Christ. He has Christ whipped, scourged, which would have just obliterated his flesh, just, just shredded his back like linguine. The flesh of his back would have hung down in bloody ribbons on his back. And then for fun, members of a Roman legion, they take turns rearranging his face with their fists until finally Christ, Pilate brings Christ out to the crowd, almost it seems as if to provoke the mob to sympathy. And in verse 5, when he brings Christ out, he says, Behold the man. Behold the man, he says. Meaning what? Meaning, is this what you wanted? Is this what you wanted? Is it, you, wanted to, you wanted to kill this? You want to murder this? Because to Pilate, Christ was ridiculous. This was pathetic. 
This guy does not pose a threat to anyone or to anything, or so he thought. And yet little did he know about the prophecy uttered at his birth that Christ would lead to the rise and to the fall of many, including corrupt and unjust men just like Pontius Pilate. The crowd remains determined, undaunted. In verse 6, complete opposite of what they cried out the week before, they call out for his crucifixion. Staurosan, Staurosan, crucify him, crucify him. Seven days earlier, they hailed him as the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Seven days later, crucify him. And in verse 15, you see, they cry out in rage, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And even though Pilate told them three separate times, he found no guilt and nothing to charge him with. Like a coward, he caves to the mob, sends him to be crucified. Which brings us to part two. Part two, Christ impaled on a bloody cross. Christ impaled on a bloody cross, verses 16 through 24. Even though he's bleeding and exhausted, Christ now carries a hundred-pound cross out to the place of execution grossly known in that day as Golgotha. In other words, the place of the skull. And you know when men marched out to Golgotha, none returned. In verse 18, you see in the text, they pierce him to the cross like a piece of bloody meat. They hoist him up in the air for everyone to see with two criminals crucified on either side. And there in that moment is where the real torture began. Because you understand it wasn't for, for those who were crucified. It wasn't the wounds themselves that killed the victims. But what it was was asphyxiation. It choked to death. Arms spread out wide, put pressure on the diaphragm allowing them only to take short, little, shallow breaths. The only way to take a full breath was to lift yourself up by your arms and by your feet. But the problem is, is that the victims were impaled with iron spikes, meaning putting any pressure on the hands, on the feet, would send bolts of pain through your body like molten lava. So what that means is that eventually when the victim had no more strength to give, they suffocated and slowly choked to death over hours, sometimes days. Every nerve in your body would feel like it was on fire. And this was the state of the Savior for hours. For hours. As mockers and scoffers, Matthew tells us, they, they laughed and they joked as they look at his half-naked, mutilated body shouting at him, if you're really the Son of God, come down from the cross. He could save others. He could not save himself. And yet, what would have happened had he come down from the cross? No one could be saved. And no one could be delivered. Mark tells us ominously that the whole time darkness covered the land for three hours while he hung. Darkness. Which tells us that something supernatural was astir. You probably know it was a custom in that day to post a sign, a notice, an inscription, nail it to the cross, indicating the charges of the criminal. In verse 19, notice the irony of the charge. 
other than wasting his time. Pilate literally has nothing to charge him with, nothing else to convict him with, and so he simply put, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews, which was ironic. It's ironic because he didn't believe it. The religious leaders didn't believe it, and, and maybe even possibly his own disciples didn't believe it. But even if no one believed it, that doesn't make it less true. Jesus Christ is the King of the Jews, whether everyone believes it or no one believes it. And mark my words, one day he will come and claim his kingdom. Meanwhile, even the Roman soldiers get in on the action. Verses 21 through 24, bored and just pretty much waiting for this thing to end. They amused themselves by casting lots for Christ's clothing. But you see, what they did not know, what they could not have possibly known, is that even the gambling for his very garments was already contained in an ancient prophecy written a thousand years before it ever even happened. John beholds this, or maybe reflects on it later on. And he quotes the prophecy from Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Look at the end of verse 24. Therefore, John says, the soldiers did all these things. What does that mean? It means they did that because it was ordained. They did it because it was predetermined. They did it because it was predestined. God was in absolute sovereign control. Scandalous. And yet it's beautiful because everything is going according to plan. Part three. Part three of this scandalous and beautiful night, this tragic and triumphant, this gruesome and glorious night. Part three, Christ absorbed the dreadful curse. Christ absorbed the dreadful curse. Because what's so ironic about the scene is that it just, it just looked like your average everyday, ordinary execution. From the standpoint of an observer, all it looked like was three scumbags getting what they deserved. And yet what could not be seen with human eyes, what could not be perceived with human senses was the exquisite catastrophe taking place behind the scenes. Gruesome and glorious in that moment, do you know what was happening? Tragic and triumphant in that moment. Do you know what was happening? In that moment, the father was crushing his own son. In that moment, he was treating his son as our sins deserve. In that moment, he was punishing his own son as if he were the one who committed all those sins. And he was glad to punish his own son, Isaiah 53, 10. And the son was glad to be punished for those sins. Because that was always the plan. That was always the plan, even before the foundation of the world. But notice, notice we get a glimpse of what was really happening in that moment. Look at verses 28 through 30. After this, because Jesus knew that all things already had been accomplished, notice, so that the scripture would be fulfilled, he said, deep soul, I am thirsty. There was a vessel 
lying there full of sour wine. After they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a branch of hyssop, they lifted it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore received the sour wine, he said, note, To Telestai, it is finished. After bowing his head, he gave his spirit. And you see, there it is. There it is right there. That is what was transpiring behind the scenes. The most important three words ever spoken in history. Three words in English, one word in Greek, tetelestai. Tetelestai, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. What? What is finished? What is he, what is he saying? You know what it is. You know exactly what it is. Not just the Sufferings of Christ, yes, those were finished, that's true. But you see, what was finished in that moment was the sin-bearing, wrath-conquering death by which alone we get reconciled to the Father. And you know what that's called, don't you? That's called atonement. Atonement. That was finished. Because even though it looked like just an ordinary, average execution, what this was, was a transaction. A Trinitarian transaction where all the souls that the Father had chosen and given to His Son were paid for and purchased in that moment. What this was, was a transaction where all those whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, they were procured, they were purchased, they were paid for by the Son. Because that right there, that moment, that atonement, that was the secret to the entire operation. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse in our place. Galatians 3.13 1 Peter 3.16 Christ died for sins once for all. Dikaios huper adikaios the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring you to God. It's exactly what Isaiah prophesied 700 years before the event ever even happened. Truly, truly our sufferings he carried and our pains he bore them. But we, Isaiah, notice how we notice what Isaiah does, speaking as if he had personally watched Christ die, the Messiah die, but we esteemed him stricken struck down of God and afflicted. We looked at him and we thought he was like any other criminal, getting his punishment. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
The chastisement for our peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. All of us, all of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but Yahweh caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That, that right there, is exactly what Christ meant when he screamed into the darkness, Tetelestai, it is finished. Because it was finished. <laughs> and it is finished. See, if you belong to Jesus Christ tonight, you are right now, as we speak, a recipient. A beloved, undeserving recipient of the finished, completed, saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, paid in full with nothing to add, nothing to contribute. Christ drank every drop of the Father's rage. And when you believed in the gospel, when you heard the gospel and you believed it in that moment, everything that Christ paid for was then transferred to your bankrupt spiritual bank account and you were then reconciled to the Father. No guilt left to bear. Do you hear this? No more wrath left to bear. Do you hear this? Your infinitely long criminal record of sins permanently deleted and canceled. Never to be recalled. You understand the Father sees you right now. If you are in Christ, the Father sees you right now in this moment with the spotless holiness and purity of his own Son. You sit here tonight, if you are in Christ, as sons and daughters of the living God, adopted through the sin-bearing, wrath-conquering, substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you feel this this morning? We must pause. We must ponder. We must savor. We must celebrate the scandalous and the beautiful, the tragic and the triumphant, the gruesome and the glorious. Everything, everything hinges on that moment 2,000 years ago on Golgotha. And yet, having said that, I do need to say I would be no friend to you if I didn't say this. If that doesn't describe you tonight, if you are at odds with the Lord Jesus Christ, those watching from home, if this doesn't describe you, if you are at odds with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have not given yourself to the satisfying custody of the Lord Jesus Christ, I plead with you right now to reconsider your position. That you would yield in thirsty submission to the Son. That you would bow to the sovereign authority to the, of the King. And you would accept His bloody payment. His ransom in the place of sinners like you and me. Because you understand what happened on that Friday between noon and three, 2,000 years ago, was scandalous, it was tragic, it was gruesome, and yet at the same time, it was beautiful and glorious and the greatest triumph in human history, which means it was beautifully ironic, wasn't it? So as promised, I end with two ironies. 
two ironies, beautiful and scandalous ironies for you to contemplate on Good Friday. Irony number one. When Pilate and the Roman soldiers called Christ the king of the Jews, that was ironic. And it was ironic because they were kidding. It was a joke. It's a running gag. A crown of thorns. A faded purple garment. His face rearranged by human fists. It's a joke. But what they didn't know, and what they do know now, is that he really is the king of the Jews. And not just the Jews, but even the entire universe. And one day, mark my words, he will come in the glory of a thousand sons, and he will set up shop in Jerusalem, and he will be worshipped by the nations. Mark my words, the kingdom is coming. Irony number two. Irony number two you know, to get a sinless man crucified, it was going to take a lot of work, wasn't it? It was going to take a lot of planning to get an innocent man put to death. Justice would have to be perverted. To get a guilty verdict, every law would have to be broken. Legal processes would have to be ignored. Official legal procedures would have to be violated. False witnesses would have to be bribed and paid off to lie. Why? Because that's what it takes to get a sinless man crucified. That's exactly what happened. That's precisely what happened. And yet, and yet, little did the rulers of Christ's day know that with all of their scheming, with all of their planning, with all of their strategizing, that they were playing right into the sovereign hands of God. The very death that they thought would put an end to Christ was the very death that fulfilled what God had predestined even before the foundation of the world. And that is an irony so staggering and beautiful that it makes us weep. It makes us worship. And it makes us want to live even more for the glory of the triune God. Let's pray. Oh Christ, we marvel at the scandalous and the beautiful, at the gruesome and the glorious, at the tragic and the triumphant, Oh, Lord, what happened on Golgotha was the essence of irony. Something that looked like one thing, but it was something completely different. Oh, Lord, who would have thought, who would have thought that redemption would have come through a Roman instrument of torture and death? Who would have thought that eternal life would be procured through an execution? We didn't know. We would have never planned it that way. And yet, Lord, because that is the plan, that tells us that even before the foundation of the world, Father, you had a plan that included sin and evil and sinners that would need a Savior. And you put your Son at the center of that plan. He is on center stage, exalted, displayed, glorified for the treasure that he is. And Christ, paltry and thin and distracted and fatigued, 
though we may be, we offer you worship. You are the King. You are the Lord. You are the Savior. You are the treasure. We long to enjoy you for the supremely valuable treasure that you are. Thank you, O Lord, for Good Friday and for all that it produces. In your mighty name.